were. And uh, what we see as we read these scriptures, it's as much about the dirt as it is the seed and as it is the sower. And so uh, I realize these guys are still passing buckets here at the end, but would you go ahead and stand this morning for the reading of God's word? And let's welcome your friend and mine, Sheila Hood, who's going to come and read scripture for us today. Matthew 13, 1 through 9, the parable of the sower. On that day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat down while the whole crowd stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Consider the sower who went out to sow. As he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it didn't have much soil, and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't so deep. But when the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it. Still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times what was sown. Let anyone who has ears listen. And this church is God's word. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Uh, How many of you know nothing grows where the dirt's not good? When dirt's not good, stuff has a hard time growing. So um, I don't know if you guys have noticed yet, but HEB is beginning to expand their capacities. Any safe people excited about HEB expanding their capacities? One of the reasons I love HEB more so than other things is, and other grocery stores is because of the general cleanliness, certainly. Everything's bright and beautiful, but especially their produce aisle. When I was growing up, you couldn't, buy, you couldn't pay me enough money to eat a zucchini. Now I love zucchini. Like I, I love vegetables in general. So I think I just have a picture of the produce aisle so we can just marinate in how I think the outer courts of heaven probably look something like this. Just beautiful, clean, bright, and airy. And so it's a mystery why whenever you can go to some place like this and find the produce you can find, we would ever take it upon ourselves to say, I think I want to try growing my own. Have any of you ever tried this? It is way harder than you think it is to grow your own of anything. And you may be thinking, and I don't even want to, I don't like every vegetable and I don't have to, you know, grow enough stuff to feed Waxahachie. I just want to feed my household. We'll plant a few things. We'll have some squash. We'll have some lettuce. It'll be great. That is not how it goes. That is not how it goes at all. And so when, especially, especially if you live around here where 90% of the dirt is white rock, okay? But our garden is, I I can't remember if I put pictures in there of the garden or not. Our garden is Crystal's happy place. It has become a happy place. And it has become a happy place, number one, because this year it's raining. And that's nice so far, isn't it? Be sure and thank God for the rain. But uh, number two, over time, we have added more dirt and we have amended soil pretty much constantly. There has not been a year where we planted seed that we didn't have to work hard on the soil. And whenever my father and I, he bought us those two raised beds in the back as kind of a housewarming gift. 
He loves my wife. And so he said, I want to buy some beds for you and Crystal. So we got out in the front yard. We put those together. With his help, I could do such a thing. And each of those wooden beds has these long wooden stakes in them. And um, what you're supposed to be able to do is sit these raised beds on the ground, tap on the corners, and drive those stakes into the ground. No, not at all. What we did do was dig eight separate holes, one for each corner of each bed with a pickaxe so that we could drop these stakes down into the ground. And we were going to till up the soil, you know, a little bit before we added stuff on top. That tiller just bounced on top of the rock. There was no, there was no purchase, no digging to, to be had. So whenever Jesus talks about this parable... He actually, at the time, whenever he did the first half of it, he didn't explain it at all. He just said, hey, he who has ears to listen, listen. And so his disciples go to Jesus and say, so boss, what, what were you getting at there? And Jesus begins to talk about how we hear God's word and that he uses parables essentially to see if people are going to lean into what he's saying or check out on what he is saying. And it turns out that what Jesus is really talking about here isn't so much dirt at all. He's talking about the soil of our hearts. That's what he's getting at. You see that God is always concerned with the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the what? The heart, the mouth speaks. Proverbs says, guard your heart because that is the wellspring of life. Um, The Bible also says that man looks at outward appearance, but God judges the heart. God is intensely concerned with our heart. And so whenever his disciples said, can you explain this? Jesus went on and explained the parable. And I want to read it to you. We're going to focus on the next few weeks on each part of the soil. Today, we'll take the first part. But Jesus says, so listen to the parable of the sower, sower, Use my big boy words here. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom but doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. And the one sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root and is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. Now the one sown among the thorns, this is one who hears the word, but the worries of this age and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But the one sown on good ground, this is one who hears and understands the word, who does produce fruit and yields some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty times what was sown. In each circumstance, the same seed, In each circumstance, the same sower, the same farmer, but the condition of the soil dictated what came out of the effort. And so here's the first point this morning. The condition of our heart determines our response to the work and words of God. It's actually a me thing, how I respond to the work and words of God. Generally speaking, as people, we like to think of ourselves as like we want what is true. We are after what is really good, what is really true. But what Jesus is saying to us today is that we tend to, across the board, be a little more complicated than that. 
And in several of these soils, there's actually a response to the word of God. And here's the thing, when it comes to following Jesus, if, if you're interested in Jesus, you probably have a few things. You, you've decided or you're nearly convinced that he really is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and that the Bible is our primary source of truth and knowledge about the will of God. You believe those things. And yet, Jesus reveals through this story that many people hear enough of God's truth to be totally transformed, but are not in fact transformed at all or are not transformed for long. And so Jesus spends a lot of time talking here about the condition of the heart. And I think that if we're honest with ourselves, we can all see ourselves in every phase at some point in our life. All of us have been through all of this, I hope. The goal is to get there to the end, but we have to keep our hearts soft toward God so that we can stay productive, so that we can stay fruitful with what he's done for, with what he's done for us. And so the heart dictates our response to God. As a teenager, it might look like the Lord is working in your life and uh, you're, you're changing, you're soft towards him. And as he's doing things in your life, uh, you meet her. And, and here's the deal, meeting her might actually be a part of God's blessing in your life, but whenever we go off path or we make an idol out of a person, what we see is that a relationship can be a litmus test of our heart toward God. And if every time we fall for somebody or get interested in somebody, our devotion to the things of God, to the community of God, to his word goes by the wayside, well, that's actually a reflection of the condition of our heart. Whenever Crystal and I were first married and living in San Angelo, we, um, we had bought our first home, 401 North Jefferson Street. Great little house. We love that place. And so we're next, our next door neighbors... Um, they had some fun stuff going on. Uh, they they sort of fought like cats and dogs. Uh, most evenings would end sitting out on the porch, drinking beer, hanging out, and then they would end up fighting. And so you could hear it coming from next door quite often. And one of the coolest things happened, they actually began coming to our church, but she was much softer toward God than he was. And as God began to change her, he began to resent God and began to resent her. And this became a big source of frustration between the two of them. Finally, she moved out of the house for a period of time. He wouldn't have her. And, um, but whenever that step was taken, he became, as I have been at times in my life when I'm really hurting, I'm really teachable. And he became really teachable and really soft, softened toward God. And I can remember a number of the conversations that he and I had. I had a backyard, five-foot fence, stand there at the fence, and he and I would talk in the evenings. And this one night in particular, I will never forget. Stars were out. It was a beautiful night. And I can still see him so clearly, gray goatee, gray hair, uh, cut off at the sleeves, white t-shirt, and yellow shorts. And while we're standing there talking, he said, you know, um, she really wanted to get more involved in church. She felt like we should do things and I didn't want to do it. And since she's been gone and he's looking up at the stars, there's this sense of the reality of God, the reality of heaven. And he's looking up and he goes, and, and really I see now that, that I do need God and that I, I want him in my life. And I really hope that she'll come back. And she did come back and 
It was powerful, it was transformative, and it lasted about as long as it took for him to get comfortable again. And then those conversations ended and the fighting started. Here's a question for all of us. Have I been as transformed as I should be by what God has allowed me to know? By what he has planted in me? Because here's what scripture says in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus says, whoever has, for whoever has, more will be given to him and he will have more than enough. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from us. Now that sounds incredibly harsh. And so some people will hear that and they'll say, well, that is incredibly rude. Essentially, you've got the rich and the poor and you're saying you're gonna take away even from the poor. Let's just remember here, Jesus isn't talking about money. He's talking about our response to the truth that we know and receive about God. And what Jesus is saying is this, God holds us accountable for the response we have to the truth we hear. Hearing is actually a high stakes endeavor. God will hold us all, you, me, everybody, accountable to our response to the truth that we learn from him. So have I, have you been as transformed as we should be by what God has allowed us to know? Jesus goes on and talks about hearing in Mark chapter four. He says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. What does this mean by the measure you use. It means by the value you place on the words and work of God, the truth he reveals to you, if you place high value on it, you will reap high value from it. If you place no value on it, you will get no value from it. And everything that God needs to know about the condition of your heart and mind is reflected in how we respond to the light that he gives us into the truth that he receives. So what I wanna do is I wanna give three indications that a heart is hard toward God. The soil we're gonna focus on first today is what Jesus called the soil, the, the, the soil where the, that was packed, the seed sown along the path, hard ground. If you've ever um, walked a certain path to the dumpster through your yard or you enjoy hiking and you go through the woods, there's a certain path that has been walked on again and again and again, and it's hard packed. Very little can grow there. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying some hearts are like that. Here are three indications of a heart that is like that. And here's my challenge to you. If, if you're listening and you're like, I think that's me, you don't have to stay that way. No one has to stay that way. So three indications that a heart is heart toward God. The first one is this, ignorance is bliss. There's just no interest in the things of God. That whenever it comes to knowledge of God, his word, church, whatever, the primary answer is, I don't care. Dude, I don't care. Leave me alone about this, okay? I just don't care. Heaven, hell, love, goodness, whatever. I'll worry about that one day if I'm gonna worry about it at all. And so for a hard heart, ignorance is bliss until it's not, but for a while, ignorance can be bliss. And so scripture gives us a picture of our response to God and our response specifically to God's wisdom. 
and says this in Proverbs chapter one, wisdom calls out in the street. She makes her voice heard in the public squares. She cries out above the commotion. She speaks at the entrance of the city gates and says, how long, you inexperienced ones, will you love ignorance? How long, you mockers, will you enjoy mocking? And how long will you fools hate knowledge? For someone for whom ignorance is bliss, it just, it doesn't make any sense. I don't want to understand it. And frankly, I'm not interested in it. I feel like maybe one example of this might be a man who's referred to in the Gospels. His name is Pilate. And Pilate was a government official who, in the trial and execution of Jesus, he was one of the gatekeepers in that moment. And in those moments, Jesus didn't respond to everybody who wanted to demand answers of them. He knew if they would even entertain a conversation. But he talks to Pilate, and Pilate begins to ask him questions, and Jesus responds, and Jesus says, listen, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And this is where Pilate revealed the condition of his heart. He said, what's truth? And he walked away. He asked Jesus what truth was, but he didn't even stick around long enough to hear an answer. He just walked away. That's an indication of a hard heart. Do you get frustrated when people that you care about begin to care too much about God? Uh, Do you bristle when you hear something that is true from Scripture? No value on it. It's one indication of a hard heart. Secondly, skepticism runs deep and no evidence is enough evidence. For a hard, here's the thing about your mind. God gave it to you. He wants you to use it. One of, one of my pastors growing up, he said, you know, some people heard Jesus say, take no thought about tomorrow. And they took that way too literally. He says, use your minds. And it's important to use our mind. But when skepticism becomes an attitude toward life or an attitude toward God, to where whatever you're going to believe, it's just not going to be this. And the answer is always to push it away. That's an attitude that chooses to push away truth in general, that tends to push away God in general. And so everything is not enough evidence. You could add anything to the pile, but is still not enough evidence. And here's the thing that the Bible says, though. None of us will be able to stand before God and say, you didn't give me enough evidence. In Romans chapter one, it says this about that understanding of God, his truth that he exists, that he's there. His his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made As a result, people are without excuse. What the Bible is saying here is it's saying you look at the world and you know, you know. Essentially, the the Apostle Paul would listen to any of us saying, I don't believe it's just, it's just, and he would say, but you know, there's a God, I know you do. So Waxahachie is blowing up right now, right? The Metroplex in general is exploding. And around this area, I don't know if it happens for you, but periodically I will drive through a part of town where there was just a lot and now there are apartments or there was just grass and now there's a neighborhood. 
But I never look at that and think, yeah, it just happened. I don't think Home Depot exploded over here and an office building popped up over there. I don't look, none of us think that. Why do we look at the universe and pretend that's a valid option? That there were some things somewhere and it just happened and all this complexity, all this consciousness, all these people, it's just there. And the Bible would say, you, not even you believe that. Say, so you, you don't believe that. That God's attributes are clear through what he has made. Because we look at the world and we know that it's not just there, it was, it was made. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. If, if we're going to push away the light that God gives us, if we're going to reject the truth that he gives us, it makes us darker people. And we will find a sense of transcendence and something to live for somewhere. So it goes on here and it says, you know, some people make idols out of, out of images, earthly things, animals. Some people try to find their worth and value in thrills and sex. And they keep on going into deeper, deeper, deeper levels of addiction with all of it. And this is a result of a hard heart and of rejecting God. So ignorance is bliss, it's a hard heart. If skepticism runs deep, that's a hard heart. And then lastly, if emotions are hostile. How do you know if your emotions are hostile toward God? C.S. Lewis actually said at one point in his life, he said, I didn't believe that God existed and I was really angry at him anyway. Emotions are hostile toward God. And so a hard heart will process things just differently based on what's going on in here. And so two people can go through the same thing, a family falling apart. Someone with a soft heart towards God realizes I need him. I need a heavenly father. I need, I need him in my life. If anyone's going to help me not repeat the same things, if anyone's going to help me recover, it's going to be him. But a hard-hearted person would say, a good and loving God would never allow my father to do this. I don't want anything to do with him. Same circumstances, different heart. Suffering, the same thing. The pain of suffering softens some people. Some people will absolutely find that they need God, they want God, and they're going to walk with the God who walks with them in the valley of the shadow of death. And then other people will shake their hands at heaven and say, I will never, ever want you. Same circumstances, different hearts. That's why Proverbs says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and fools despise wisdom and discipline. There's more going on here than just thoughts. It's not that you're just ignorant to God's word. It's not that you're just skeptical or just emotional. There's a war going for your heart. And that's why Jesus said that this hard packed soil, that's where the birds come in and take the seed away before it can grow. And then he says later, the bird is the, bird is the enemy. 
that he wants to keep you from understanding the things of God. He wants to keep you from accepting God. He does not want you to find healing or restoration or wisdom. He wants to see you go down with him. When anyone hears the word about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the one sown along the path. Final thought is this. We won't always have another chance to respond to God. We won't always have another chance. I mean, I I love the story of the thief on the cross where we look at that and, and we know that God's grace is always always inclined toward us, even to the very end, to the last beat of the heart. But here's the thing about a hard heart and running from God instead of running to him. It's possible to get so hard that God's grace is there for you all day long and you do not want it. You don't want it. That's why they say the door to hell is locked from the inside. You may want relief, but you don't want God. And if you don't want God, heaven would be hell for you. have more stuff, but I think that's it. So here's my question. Is God trying to get your attention? Probably. If you're hard-hearted, God is trying to get your attention. And um, he's trying to get your attention now. Here's what conviction is. Conviction is God putting his hand on your shoulder saying, come here, son. Come here, daughter. That's how God works. Let me pray for you. Lord, we love you so very much.